Welcome. I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles to Psalm 73 this morning. We, uh, believe it or not, it's been a while since uh, I've preached, but I'm uh, finishing a series that we started. I don't know if you knew that or not, but we had started a series. Uh, Pastor Matt had preached. It was the first time that he preached here. And uh, so praise God, him and I were working through, we were going to do a two-part series, so a short series, uh, on a worthy focus, God, a worthy focus. And so Pastor Matt took us through uh, Romans 5, God, a worthy focus, rejoicing God, and uh, this is going to turn out to be the longest mini-series we've ever done, I think, as a church. Because I don't know when he preached that, I think it was back in 2019, actually. We said over, what is that, over a year it's been, so here we go, we're going to conclude our series, and so takes us to Psalm 73 this morning, and so we're going to look at the entire uh, psalm this morning, I'm going to work us through the text, and so I had a question for you before we, we did that, or not a question, a statement, I'll say this, uh, God is good? All the time? God is good. I didn't know if you would respond to that or not, but some of you did, and so we, we knew about that. God is good all the time, and all the time God is good, and you would think if God is good, then it would be easy to see. You would think that this would be a no-brainer this morning, but it's not always easy to see. Uh, I think about a time, I've got uh, three kids, uh, they're much older than when this happened, but when they were young, we took a trip 13 hours from Alberta down to Oregon to see some friends and to see the ocean. Uh, We went on that trip, and there was... uh, Lots of accidents on the way with the children in the vehicle because they're that age, and it was just a long drive, and it, we saved up a lot of money. We got there, we got back, and I was sharing with my folks about it, and I said, they said, how was Oregon? And I said, wow, it's fantastic. Never seen that part of the ocean before, and we're talking about that, how great the waves were in the beach, and, and my son turns to me. I forgot I was going to say this, so now I'm in trouble. He's not here yet, so he turns to me. No, he doesn't turn to me. He turns to Grandma, and he says, that was the ocean? And my, my mom was laughing so hard. She's probably still giggling about it because she knew all the effort we went. And there's the ocean. And son, do you see the ocean? You've never seen the ocean before. And yes, it took all this time and money and sacrifice. And he's like, that was the ocean? Oh, we could have took him anywhere, right? And he did. How can you be so close to something like that? It's so clear that that is not a normal lake. That is the ocean. And miss it. And... Uh, This morning, our our big idea is this, is that God is truly good, but seeing is believing. Okay, God is truly good, but seeing is believing, and we don't always see it. It's not always obvious. I wonder if you've ever asked the question to God, the serious question of, God, are you punishing me? Is this going on right now because of my past? I don't know if you've ever asked God the question, where are you, God? Or why God? Or what's going on? I'm certain that you have all asked those questions before. And you've asked them all in the context of what you see. You're looking around and based on what you're seeing, you're asking God these questions of who he is. And maybe even are you truly good, God? Psalm 73 is an interesting psalm in that it's a wisdom psalm. It's uh, written by Asaph. And it's written to give us wisdom. And it's written to give us wisdom, and I'll say this morning, uh, the focus particularly I'm going to focus on is this, is to give us wisdom on, is God truly good? 
How can you be certain that God is truly good when it's not always obvious? God is truly good, but seeing is believing. And so, in other words, where you look will determine what you believe. Where you look will determine where you believe. And so, Asaph knows this. That's why he's written us Psalm 73. And he gives us two pieces of wisdom to consider this morning. So, we have a two... A two-point sermon this morning. So I know you're, you're used to three points. Two, I think, is still biblical. We're going to go with that this morning. So two, two kind of questions or points of wisdom, and the first is this. God is truly good, but seeing is believing. So here's our first point. When my eyes are off God, I will question if he's truly good. When my eyes are off of God, I will question if he's truly good. And why will I question God's goodness? Why would I ever question his goodness? Well, if my eyes are off of him, then everything I'm going to see will seem to say that the wicked have everything. The wicked have everything. Look at how Asaph opens up the psalm in verse 1. He says this, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Asaph is kind of starting the way we started this morning. He's saying, God is good? We say, all the time. All the time, God is good. That's what he's saying. God is particularly good, he says, to Israel, to true believers. Asaph believes this. But look at verse 2. Things change real fast. But as for me, my feet almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. He had almost fallen. He had almost abandoned it all. Verse 2. Why? How that happened so fast? Well, because Asaph was experiencing and seeing some things that caused him to question if God was truly good. He's not stupid. He's not just blind face. I believe God is good and it doesn't matter what's going around. He's looking at what's going around and he's wondering, God, I don't know if I can keep this up. Look at verse 3. He says, I was envious of, he says, the arrogant and the wicked. Why was he envious of them? Did he want to be wicked and he just, he wished he was as wicked as them? Well, no. What was he envious for? He's envious because of what he sees. Well, what does he see? He's almost going to lose it all. He's almost abandoning it all. Why? If you look at verses 2 to 12, he says why. He says, God, look what, look what I see. Look what's around me. I see in verse 3, arrogant and wicked people. Verse 6, he sees the proud. Verse 7, they do whatever their hearts desire. Verse 8, they're intimidating and they're dominating and they're controlling. This is what I see, God. And then the piece that's really driving me nuts is this. Verse 3, he says, they're prospering, God. These people are doing well. Four and five, he says they're without pain. They're fat and happy and without a care in the world. God, these wicked people, he says in verse nine, they're free to do whatever they want, it seems, in heaven and on earth. And then God, if that weren't enough, verse 10, he says they're gathering troops. They're gathering people around them and they're saying, you know what, if there is a God, He can't certainly give a rip, because look at my life. 
How can God know? God is truly good, but seeing is believing. And all Asaph sees is the wicked. He sees the wicked and they're winning. Mocking God. He's got a tunnel vision on that. That is literally all he sees. I don't know if you uh, have ever experienced tunnel vision before. Maybe you've experienced it. Uh, You've been working out. You've gone for a long run. I know a Tobin, he runs marathons. I guarantee he's got tunnel vision by the end of, what is it, 40 million miles you have to run or something? I get tunnel vision for sure. If I did that, well, I just die. There's no tunnel vision. I get that if I, if I do a task. In, in fact, this morning I burnt my porridge. I can't multitask. I, I, can, only, I can only do one thing at a time. And so, especially if I'm watching um, television, it doesn't matter what's going on. That's, that's all I can literally do. I have to sit down before I turn it on because I won't be able to sit down. while it's, I just literally tunnel vision on it. And all I see typically is my team losing and the bad guys winning all the time, over and over and over again. And that's my, that's my vision on it. And so I wonder for, for us if we, and I know that we have this. I have this in my life, not just those moments, but I have, t- I have lots of tunnel vision where all I can see in this case like Asaph is the wicked. That's it. doesn't matter what's going on. That's all I see. I look around my own life and what do I see? What do you see? What are the things that, that you see today? Is it that they're at that party tonight? They've got that boyfriend or that girlfriend. They don't seem to have restraints on their money. I do. They're carefree. They have that vehicle, that house, that job, that body. And the list goes on. And to top it off, maybe we see those people and we say, they hate God. They hate God. And life is easy. And in those moments where we have our vision narrowed and, and all we see is the wicked, what we do is we then, com- all we have to do, all we can do is just compare ourselves to them or ourselves with them and we're left with I have nothing. And that's what Asaph does. It's where he goes. He says, I have nothing. Look at verse 13. He says, all in vain, I've kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. He's kept himself pure. He's saying, God, I've sacrificed so much and it's all in vain. It's all for waste. I have literally nothing to show for it, God. What was the point? I look around and I compare myself and say, what is the point of this? I don't know if you ever had projects that you've done and you come to the end of it after a day and you say, what was the point of that? You ever work on something before? Maybe it's just me. Maybe you are all very successful at any task that you take on. I had one time in particular, I was working on, we had a tent trailer. And if you know what a tent trailer is, it's, it's like a trailer on wheels, it's a box, and you crank it up, and it goes up, and it folds out. It's probably not helpful if you don't know what it is, that wasn't a good description. Anyhow, it's got a crank. This is important, it has a crank, and you crank this, and there's cables, and those cables work on pulleys to bring up the tent trailer, so you can sleep in it. That's important. Well, the pulley broke, and so... I was going to fix this, and we were tight on money, and so I thought, no, I I will farmer fix this. I will make this work no matter what. And I spent 12 hours in our our driveway, remember tunnel focus, right? And that's all I did. My wife brought me water. I don't even drink food. I just went for it. And at about hour 10, I realized this is probably not going to happen. 
And I had one of our neighbors come by with his dog, walking the dog, and, and the salt in the wound was this. He said, because he'd seen me, he must have seen me in the morning. He's like, so, going good, eh? <laughs> you know those moments where, in your life, where if you were ever to commit a crime, <laughs> like it was those times? God's grace in my life. I was very close to doing something very bad. I came to the end of that time and I said, what in the world was the point? We ended up using a four-foot, two-by-six for the rest of our days with that. To lift it up, manhandle it, put in the board, and now we're sleeping. Not really safely, but we're doing it. <laughs> and I come to the end of that and I say, what, what is the point? What was the point of all of that? Pursuing the Lord, I want to say this, is, is, is the hardest thing you will ever do. It is the best Pastor Robbie said that so many times. I love that. It is so hard, but it is so good. You will lose a lot. Some of you know um, very vividly what I'm speaking of. You will lose family and friends. You will lose respect because of your convictions. You will sacrifice financial gain. You will lose money. You will fight for purity, and it's tough. And then at the end of it, only to be misunderstood or rejected or abused and overlooked. Or to look around and see those that care nothing for God, and they seem to have the easy life. And we find ourselves in those moments that, I'm sure that you've done what I've done, and you feel in those moments, what is the point? God, I quit. You ever said that before to the Lord? Maybe he's even said it out loud. God, I quit. God, I'm done. Like, what is the point? What is the point? And this is where Asaph is at. This is why he says in verse 14, look at it. He says, for, for all the day long I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. Do you hear what he's saying? He says, all the day and every morning. Now I'm sure he got some breaks. I guaranteed the man got some breaks, but you can hear his heart. He's like, without a break, every single day, all day, I get harassed, and it is brutal. And then you know what? I wake up and I think it's going to be different, and it's not. Every morning it's the same, and he's got this internal kind of battle going on, because look, look, listen to 15. He says, if I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. What is he saying? He's saying, there's no sense talking about it. Because if I say something, I'm going to regret it. I'm going to betray my brothers and sisters in the Lord. I'm going to say something that's not true that's going to cause them to stumble. You know those times where you want to say something, but you know this is not going to be helpful. you got lots to say, but it's not helpful. And this is where he's at. So, so what do you do? Asaph is at a dead end here, and he says in verse 16, when I thought, but when I thought, how to consider this? How do I figure this out? It seemed to me a wearisome task. Now, Asaph is a godly man. He's not a rookie. It's not his first rodeo. Like, he... He's godly, he should be able to figure this out, and he doesn't have a clue what to do. 
He's weary. He's like, I don't even know where to begin. It's, he's defeated before he starts. It, it's like, um, has, anyone, has anyone completed a Rubik's Cube? I don't believe you. So, <laughs> my, 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 you know, you might have. So my, <laughs> that's incredible. So, now my illustration is done. So, um, where was I? So, yes. Rumors say some people have. So Rubik's Cube, my son, we gave him one. He tried super hard for like a couple weeks. Guess what he's never done ever since? A Rubik's Cube. Because what's the point? It's a wearisome task. I can't figure it out. And this is what Asaph is saying. He's like, I even think about starting that. I'm not even going to try. He's literally at the end of himself. And if you try to figure out what's going on in your life, you look at the circumstances and you say, I'm going I'm to try to figure this out. You had those times where you're like, no, no, today, today, no one's leaving until we figure out what's going on. And you start kind of working through the problem and the, the problem of pain and suffering and the complication of it. And you say, we're going to sort this out today. It is the most wearisome task you could ever do. Maybe you say, Okay, maybe this is going to happen. Maybe this is going to turn around, or maybe tomorrow. Or maybe what's going on is because of this, or maybe because of that. And I just want to say, a good luck with that. You are going to be so exhausted, and some of you have been doing that. And you know what Asaph is saying. You're like, figuring this out, this is wearisome. This doesn't make any sense. I spent all day thinking about it. I spent all night thinking about it. And you're never going to find real answers. Intel, and there's good news in this. This is real life, first of all. You don't find someone that says, God is truly good, and they're just like this. This is what's going on for Asaph, and now there's a change. What changes? Look at verse 17. This would be, to use a sports analogy, the TSN turning point. Okay, this is the TSN turning point in the sermon. He says in verse 17, I can't figure this out. The wicked have everything, I have nothing. This doesn't make any sense until, he says. Until what? Until I went into the sanctuary of God. He goes into the sanctuary. He basically does this. The sanctuary was the place where God's people went to worship God. So this is what he does. It's not the place that he went in. He goes to God. He goes to think and meditate on and get his eyes on God. He goes to worship God. Why is this so important? Why is this the TSN turning point of this sermon? Well, this is our second piece of wisdom this morning, and it's this. When my eyes are on God, I will know he is truly good. When my eyes are on God, I will know he is truly good. Notice the TSN turning point has nothing to do with his circumstances. I hope you see that in this psalm. His circumstances have not changed, not at all. He didn't go to God and then God got him healthy and wealthy, right? Got him that relationship, got him that court ruling. 
No. None of that. And the wicked are still there. There's still tons to be jealous about. But he's doing something we use, um, we term in biblical counseling, and it's this. He now, for the first time, is taking his eyes off himself, and he's putting his eyes on God. That's the difference. That's what's taking place here. And now he sees something. He sees that the wicked have nothing. The wicked, in fact, have nothing. He says in verse 17, Then, then, I looked to God, and then I discerned their end. He sees how it's going to end for them. Now he sees it for the first time. Well, what's their end? Well, he says in verses 18 to 20, he says, verse 18, he says, Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. He's not saying, I, I, I can foresee that there's going to be financial failure here. I can foresee that you know, they're going to lose their health, or, or maybe tomorrow something's going to happen, or the next day. That's not at all what he's speaking about here. He's saying, I see their end. He's not talking about this life on earth. He's talking about eternity. The ruin he sees is eternal. Verse 19, he says, how are they destroyed? Or sorry, how they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself. It appear God is against these people. God is responsible for their ruin. He says, you rouse yourself. You despise them as phantoms. He mentions a dream because dreams can be very real, right? I was dreaming like crazy last night. I think it was the pizza we had on the weekend at Free Indeed. This is a dream, 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 dream. And it's, it's real. You're there until you wake up. It's not real. It's that quick. It's gone. Something that seems so real, so vivid is gone. And that's what he's saying. Their end is going to be a wake-up call. Everything that they have, it seems so real, and in some ways it's real, like dreams are real, but everything that they have, that they've gained, if you are not in Christ, then everything that you have gained, everything that you love, worked for, invested in, cherished, enjoyed, desired, you name it, it'll be lost. In the end, in that moment, it will be lost forever. Forever you will be apart from God, and then you have nothing. And all that you're left with is hell. Punishment for your sin, apart from God, forever and ever and ever and ever. And he, he sees it now for the first time. This is their end. They really, truly have nothing. We all have people, I think, in our lives... We all have people in our lives that we're honest. There's moments that we'd say we hate them. We're jealous of them. If you want your heart changed for those people, look towards the end. Look towards the end. And this is what he does. You get your eyes on God and then you, something changes. They haven't changed. Maybe they're getting worse, but you see their end. And now instead of being jealous for them, you feel for them. Your heart breaks for them. Why? Because your focus is where it ought to be. And so he says, the wicked, they really have nothing. 
Now that his eyes are on the Lord, he sees that God is truly good, and with confidence, he can say, I have everything. The wicked have nothing, and I have everything. But it's not because of the fact he's better than the wicked. Why can he say with confidence, I have everything? Well, it's certainly not because he's not like the wicked, that he's better than the wicked. Look at verse 21 to 22. He says this. He says, when my soul was embittered, right, when it was soured, it was soured, when I was pricked in the heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like an animal, like a beast towards you, God. Nevertheless, he says in verse 23, I am continually with you. Why? I thought verse 1 said, truly God is good to the pure in heart. How can he say that he has everything? He's even admitted here his own sin. An animal towards God. I'm just working on my instincts. Clearly he's a doubter and a brute, but nevertheless, he's with God. Now, I want you to feel that. I want you to wrestle with that because that is the good news of the gospel that is the good news of the gospel I in no way can say look Pastor Kyle if I'm going to speak in a third person like a basketball player right Pastor Kyle Pastor Kyle is everything if I think at all it has anything to do with me then I am the most arrogant man on earth but I can say that I have everything because it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the God that I'm trusting in. And so I can say clearly that I have everything. The gospel, the good news of the gospel is this, is that our sin and our wickedness, I am a brute. I'm soured towards God. It has separated me from God. This is for every single person born. I'm left only with an eternity in hell. And I am utterly, and hear this, our pride says otherwise, but it's not true. I'm utterly helpless to defend myself. I'm helpless to, to make a case for myself, to make myself right before God, and that is the state of every human being. Nevertheless, for those that would trust in Jesus Christ, there is no one like him who became a man to die for men, but yet fully God. For those that would trust in Jesus Christ, who was punished on the cross for their sin, who lived a righteous life for them, for you, if you would trust in Christ to bear your sin completely, not halfway, to offer you his righteousness, not your own. It doesn't matter a lick. The righteousness of God that comes from God. Jesus Christ's own righteousness credited to you. If you would do that and trust in that, then you'll be forgiven. Then you have everything because God says you are reconciled now with me. And it is right that I call you forgiven. It is right that I call you righteous because my son is righteous. Right that I call you forgiven because my son said it was finished and he rose from the dead to prove that it was finished. And then you can say, I have everything. 
I have God. You can say with certainty, and it has nothing to do with you. Nevertheless, and today, in Christ, you come to Christ, and then you're in him. Today, you are a brute. Today is not a good day before God. God is gracious, and you are still his, because it is dependent on him. You can say, I have everything because I have God, and God is gracious. This God that I have is gracious. So I want to give us uh, applicational points here, maybe flesh this out a little bit more, and here's three of them, three ways I know God is truly good, even though I don't deserve it. Three ways I can know God is truly good, even though I don't deserve it. Okay, this is from the text. The first is this. He protects me. It says in verse 23, you hold my right hand. You hold my right hand. The right hand as opposed to his left hand. The right hand is a sign of like power. He says, you got my hand. You got me. It's like parents. You, what do you do when you're crossing the street? I hope you do this. Maybe my boy's 16 now, so I've stopped doing it. You grab your kid's hand, Right? How many times have we seen parents walking? I've done this so many times. When my kids were little, you're walking and you're grabbing their hand, but it is very clearly that they're not walking hand in hand with you. They're dragging like a toboggan on the sidewalk and you're, you're bringing them along, you're holding their hand. Why? Why would you go to that effort? That's super annoying. That's not a fun walk because you're protecting them. You have their right hand. You are their protection. You are their power. But we figure we know best. And I figure that I know best. If God has given me himself, he says here, then God has given me his protection. Do you think you lack protection? I don't need anything else. I don't need more protection. Any attempt for me to protect myself then by isolating by worrying, by controlling, through my money. The list goes on. Anything that I think I am going to do just for added insurance, it's good God protects me, but I'm going to do these things. It's not insurance. It's, it's insanity. That is insane because God is your protection. What are you doing? What am I doing in those moments? That is insanity. Why would I spend all night? Isn't it interesting that you have to sleep? It's to prove how weak we are. You can try to stay awake as long as you like. Eventually, your body will just shut down. We are so weak, it is insanity to try to protect yourself. And yet, when we do, God is gracious and he is protecting you. Notice, notice the text tells us when my soul was embittered. While this was going on, God, you're protecting me. God, you're protecting me. Romans 8.35 says, Who shall separate us from the love of God? Man, Romans 8, just read that last half. It's incredible. Here's one verse. Who shall separate me from the love of God, from the love of Christ? God is going to protect me primarily from being separated from himself. Who's going to do it? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or sword or danger, the list goes on. It doesn't matter what you list. The answer is nothing. It's insanity. So, because that is true, that doesn't mean you just let go and let God. That means now what I'm going to do is I'm going to hold the hand of my God willingly. And I'm going to trust in his perfection. 
No matter what I see, no matter what I see, there's an ice cream truck over there. I want to go there. There's a poppy. I want to go there. No, no matter what I see, I'm scared. No matter what I see, I am going to trust in the Lord for my protection because his protection is all I need. Second, second is this. He, he leads me. He's gracious, and he, this God leads me. Verse 24, look, he says, you guide me with your counsel. You guide me with your counsel. Again, this isn't just a, well, this is direct. I'll just say that. This is, this is intentional. This is direct. This is counsel. It would, it's like a shepherd herding sheep. It's not, hey, where do you guys want to go? I don't know, choose your own adventure today. No, it's, it's intentional and direct. Praise God that it is. God gives me his counsel. And if I have his counsel, then I have all the direction that I need. And, and I would say this, then, any attempt, any attempt in your life to get guidance, to get wisdom, to get uh, counsel from anything other than God is crazy. To go with your gut, to look for signs, to look for things that rhyme. Actually, that just rhymed kind of, look for signs or things that rhyme, right? If it rhymes, it must be true. Well, does it? Is it? Look for friends or family or spouse or kids or whoever. It's not added insurance. If it's not from God, it's insane. That is crazy that we would do this, that I'd be tempted towards this. And yet, even when I do, when I seek Counsel that's not of God. God is gracious and he will counsel me. He's given me his spirit, his word, the church. So therefore, we will follow his lead, no matter what we see. No matter how scary it is. How many people have I talked to and they're like, that's just that's too, too scary. I, I had a long while back a leader that I worked with. And I, I had shown him sin in his life. Literally gave him the word of God and said, there it is. I love this brother. And I said, come back next week and let's talk. He came back and I said, so? He says, yeah, I'm going to go do this. And I said, so just tell me why. Based from from what you see God has said, why? Because I'm going to. Because I want to. I need to. I doesn't matter. And he left. I never saw him. I literally have never seen him again. It's insanity to go through counsel, but we, we have these moments where it's like, no, it makes perfect sense. It's insane. If I have the counsel of God, then I will follow his lead no matter what I see. His counsel is all I need. Third is this. He will receive me. He will receive me. He says, afterwards you will receive me to glory. Asaph now, isn't it interesting, he sees his own end. I'm not talking about the wicked anymore. Now he says, actually, you know what? Now I see for the first time my end. And, and what's his end? He says, you will receive me to glory. He's not just speaking about heaven. He's speaking about something infinitely better. He's speaking about his presence. You will receive me into your presence. You will receive me to yourself. Can you imagine this? Can you, can you think on this even now? God himself will receive you. To himself. He's going to finish the work that he started. It's not a halfway job. It's not like your reno job where you've come to the part where you need to patch up the trim work. He's just never going to do it. Right? No one finishes trim. No one. I don't care what you say. 
No one finishes a Rubik's Cube, and no one does trim. <laughs> right? You, you, these un, undone jobs. Well, God doesn't, doesn't just leave it undone. If God has promised me to bring me to himself, to the finish line, then he will surely do it. I would say any attempt for me, any attempt by me to try to get myself there, to build my forever home, to try to find that someone that's going to complete me, to make sure that I die in my sleep, this is how it's going to go down, to have that perfect retirement, or, or I'm going to make sure that every day I make sure I prove myself so that I can make it to the end. I'll prove myself to God. I'll prove my worth. I'll make sure he doesn't leave me like the people I've seen in my life. That's insane. That's not added insurance. You're, you're, you're not kind of shoring up what God gives you. That's insane. It will not work. It will not add a lick to you getting to the end, to the finish line. But when we do these things, when we're tempted towards them, God is still gracious, and he says, no, but I will see you to the end. Philippians 1.6 says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He's the first fruits, guaranteeing what's to come, who will raise us up on the last day. God will bring it to an end. Even our bodies, as they rot in the grave, he will, he will even redeem that and finish it. He'll bring us to the end. And so I will trust in him to receive me no matter what I see, no matter what's before me, because he's going to finish what he started. So God is truly good. If I have God, I have everything. Why? Because he's gracious. He protects me, leads me, receives me. He's with me. And he is also enough. And he's also enough. I have God, and God is enough. And now he kind of goes into this closing song. Almost like this is, this is, I don't know what the term is. I don't have Pastor Jeff here, but this would be like where it really gets going. There's probably a term for that I hear. <laughs> right? I don't know what that's called, but this is where the song gets good. Okay? Verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. There is no one and nothing anywhere that I desire besides you. I have lots of things that I desire. This doesn't mean he doesn't have any desires now. What he's saying is there's nothing compared to God. Nothing, if you put him up beside God, that would ever eclipse him. There's nothing better. That's what he's saying. Up to you, in comparison to you, there's nothing, God. Right? But we have, we have all these desires, and, and it's interesting that we often seek God for them. God, would you give me control? I, I want control. Would you just give me some control here? God, would you give me love? Would you give me someone that would give me love? Would you give me power? Would you give me money? Lord, just like a little bit of money. Would you make me at least a little healthier? Or God, would you just like heal me? Would you give me health? Would you give me protection? Would you guide me, God? And you say, God, give me guidance. And you don't see guidance. You don't know what's going on. And you begin to question, is God truly good? God, I'm asking you for this, and how come you're not answering? Here's the thing that you've forgotten. 
When we're in those moments, we forget this, is that if you have God, then he's the source of all those things. He's the source of it all. There's literally nothing that you can put up to God and be like, oh, actually, yeah, that's like a little bit better, or that's kind of comparable. No. He is the source of it. So he is love. He is power. He controls everything perfectly. It's your breath in my lungs, right? So I pour out my praise. He is in absolute total control. You want control? You get God. Greatest treasure, resurrected life. If you have God, you have everything. And Asaph knows this now. His eyes are on God. He knows this. He's been reminded. And so he looks ahead, and it's almost like he's like, all right, what might happen, though? And look at verse 26. He looks ahead, and he says, My flesh and my heart, they may fail. That might happen. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Hear what he's saying. I might lose it all. No heart, no flesh. Like, if you don't have heart and flesh, you have nothing. That's what Scripture speaking of those things. You don't have that. You literally saying, worst case scenario, God is my strength or rock, that word is. Though it's shaky, he's my rock. Though it seems I have nothing, he's my inheritance. I want you to envision the worst case scenario. Not because we're morbid, because I want you to test. Where are you at? Could you, could you with eyes on God, could you be content with him? Worst case scenario, what would cause your heart and flesh to fail? Like Asaph, you look ahead and you say, if this happened, my heart and my flesh would fail. I've got nothing left. Worst case scenario, what is it for you? Let's say this. If you have God, if your eyes are on God, if you are in Christ, then it would rock you and shake you, but he is your rock. You would be able to say, I've got nothing And yet you can say, but he is my inheritance. Asaph concludes this way. He says, verse 27 to 28, For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, for me it is good to be near God. I've made the Lord my refuge, that I may tell all your works. He's saying here, the wicked... He sees with his eyes are on God, he says, the wicked, they're far from God. He's already said it'll be to their ruin, but those who are in Christ, they are near. And he says now, man, it is good to be near to God. He says, I'm not going to make the mistake that I made, verses 1 to 16, of having to enter the sanctuary. No, no, no. I am going to make the Lord my refuge. I'm going to make him my refuge. A refuge is not a place you just kind of in and out, in and out. The idea is I'm going to make him my refuge. I will go in and I will stay. I will keep my eyes fixed on my God and then what will happen is I'll be able to tell people God is truly good. God is my refuge. He will keep his eyes. Asaph says I will keep my eyes on the Lord. So in closing to leave you with this, God is truly good but seeing 
is believing. So what are you looking at? Where are your eyes? If your eyes are off God, and all you're going to see is your circumstances, wicked, suffering, yourself, and you're going to question if God is truly good. And in some ways, I'd say rightly so. But if your eyes are on God, no matter what you see, you will know God is truly good. God is truly good. We're going to close with a song, a God, you're so good. There's a line in here that we'll be singing, and it says this. I think it's fitting. I want you to think on this as we're worshiping, closing with this this morning. It says, I am blessed, I am called, I am healed, I am whole, I am saved in Jesus' name. God is good? All the time? Amen.